punting categories after two months? We'll discuss the pros and the cons. Plus, our baseball tour by division continues as we go around the AL East with the sleeper and the bust, Jason Collette. All of that is coming up next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruven Guy. How you doing, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Mets on a sweet six-game winning streak. I went to one of the games there. Uh, they look unstoppable, right? Well, everything can stop them. I, I, no one, I'm sorry. No one can stop them except for a hotel door. Francisco Lindor seemed to have slammed his hand in a hotel door and is missing a game. That sounds more like the Mets than them winning six in a row. Yeah, so funny. Uh, well, I, I'm doing well in softball. I won every game this week. Uh, last night, uh, well, I should say two nights ago, I was uh, pitching and doubleheader. The last, last pitch, the guy hits it right on my hand. Speaking of hand, right in my hand. Oh, Thank goodness uh, that was the last pitch for me. My hand, I think, is okay, and our team came back with a couple runs in the bottom of the seventh, and we won, so that, that turned out well. Okay. Well, as long as you're okay, that's all that matters. Yeah. All right. Well, we have a great show today and a great guest. We want to welcome from the Sleeper and the Bust podcast, Jason Collette. How are you, Jason? Hey, I'm doing well tonight. How are you guys? Splendid. Splendid. Well. You, you're in Carolina, right? I am just outside of Charlotte in the town of Matthews. Nice. Are Are you a Carolina Hurricanes fan, or uh, you're, you're yeah, a unfortunately. Yeah. 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 Here's the thing. I actually, you guys may enjoy this. Uh, so when I have to come uh, to New York City, I auctioneer uh, a, a a long-standing draft uh, with a bunch of ladies and gentlemen, Jen Piacentes in this league, and some other folks. And I made a wardrobe bet with one of the owners. Uh, and so I have to I have to uh, serve as auctioneer this year wearing a Yankees jersey because of that series. And that's I have to go buy the Yankees jersey, which is like really bad. And then I've got to wear it all day long. Uh, so a bet's a bet. Why don't you get a Wade Boggs jersey because he played for both the Yankees and the Rays? You know, that's a really good idea. <laughs> I could do Johnny Damon. I could do Gerald Williams. I mean, there's a number of ways I could go with this. Uh, but yeah, I have to I have to wear a Yankees jersey because of that series because um, yeah, I, it's just weird. I mean, honestly, it, you know, I've only and I talk about this a little bit in Sleeper of the Bus. I only got into hockey once COVID hit because I was like, I need something to watch. Uh, and one of my neighbors was like, Hey, you know, you should try the Hurricanes. And so, like, my daughter really loves watching hockey. She has a Sebastian Ajo jersey, and it's like something we we did all throughout this year. And, like she handled it better than me. Like the next morning, I'm like, "Well, Canes are out of it." She goes, "Yeah, what can you do?" I'm like, "Wow, I thought she would be crushed, right?" Because I remember as a kid being crushed when uh, when my favorite teams would get knocked out, and she was just like, "Eh, yeah, whatever." Next year, and sure. I was like, "Good for her." <laughs> and the Hurricanes have a really cool thing. After they win a home game, they do some kind of shtick where they, you know, they shoot each other or they they play around. It's it's very fun to watch. If you guys uh, ever YouTube it, you know, Carolina win after uh, uh, Carolina stuff after a, a win, the home storm win. surge. They storm call surge. it the storm yeah. surge. Yeah, a lot and of we've, fun. We've been there. We try to go over for one or two games a year because it's about two and a half to three hours to get over um, to Raleigh, uh, where the PNC Arena is. Uh, for that, so we try to get over to one or two games a year, and uh, this year 
they split uh, when we went, so we got to see it one time. And the the first year it was like a, we went a couple days after Christmas, and they won. Uh, kids really enjoyed it. Well, Ariel's an Islander fan. I'm a Ranger fan, so I won't rub it Ooh. in at all. But let's go Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we had a good uh, two year run the last couple of years. The Islanders. Uh, all right. Well, anyways, uh, let's stick to baseball here. Uh, as you've came, come here to listen to uh, some strategy and players and all that, so we'll, we'll jump right into it. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about punting, um, punting categories. That is, uh, we're going to focus on ro- rotisserie categories because in, in points league, and there's no such thing as punting. It's you know you get points for anything. It's just about picking valuable players for the format. But in roto leagues. It, it matters because, you know, you, you have to have some points in stolen bases and some points in homers, and there's different categories to points for the entire season. So I'll throw it very generally out to you, Jason. Uh, is it time right now, two months into the season, to start seriously thinking about punting? Well, you got to really look at your roster and see how things are constructed because it, it really depends on category, too. Because uh, if you decide to punt one category, you, sometimes you're punting two by, by depending on which one you decide to move. But you, you look at your roster, uh, you be realistic how things are shaking out. If you see your team's doing well in one category, is there a way to maximize uh, the production in that other category? If you're just lagging, like if you you drafted, you spec'd on some closers and they just haven't worked out, is it really worth uh, overpaying for something? Uh, or let's say you're in a trade league and you can make that trade. Um, or do you just keep throwing fab dollars? You're at NFBC, you just keep throwing fab dollars at the next hot reliever, whoever got a save, uh, considering how dispersed saves are in baseball this year. Uh, you know, at, at some point it's like, eh, what do I do? So it, it's, it's certainly worth studying uh, at this point, but I don't know if I can... Uh, recommend doing it right now it's just like nobody goes into the draft saying i'm just gonna punt this forget it i don't care it all depends how, how it shakes out uh, but at the end of the day i've got a tough time uh doing that but at the same point you should start looking at the option okay if i do this what else do i need to do to make this work what kind of players should i be targeting fab if you are in a trade league who are some players uh like if you're in a keeper league obviously this is the time to start looking at uh, teams that have expiring contracts uh, and are looking to rebuild. It's like, get out there before anybody else does uh, because you never know who, when that team wants to sell until they make their first sale. And if that's the guy that you needed, it's like, oops, that option's out the table. So start doing your homework. Right. Ruvain, your, your general thoughts, and maybe I'll ask you this question. Uh, for the categories that are most uncorrelated with everything else, we're talking about stolen bases for hitting and saves for pitching, do you think it's time now to look and ponder, hmm, should I have a punting strategy? I 100% agree that there's I, – I think that there should be a punting strategy at this point, especially if you think that you're on the fringe, meaning if you're in 7th, 8th, ninth place and you're trying to get into 2nd or 3rd, you know you may know that 1st place is out of it because if you're going to punt the category, it's very hard to win 1st place. But if you're trying to get to 2nd or 3rd place or, or somehow cash, this is definitely the time to look at the categories and see if you can get any points. Let's say you're low in saves and you need a closer. That's fine, but you shouldn't blow the budget You know, if you're going to try to get rid of your guys and and bulk up on your starting pitchers at this point you should also still save some money because you're going to need that money for two-star pitchers if you're going to be punting saves because if you're going to punting saves then obviously you're probably going to do a lot of two-star pitchers to bulk up try to bulk up on wins bulk up on strikes 
strikeouts. So at least you can gain in two categories. But if you're going to punt saves and you can't, you don't have that many strikeouts to gain, you don't have many wins to gain, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't punt because there is the opportunity of gaining more saves just of the fact that you have these leads in these other categories that if you were punting saves, you'd be trying to gain anyway. So there's uh, there's a fine balance because if you try to punt saves, you may end up losing ERA and whip points just because you're throwing more starters. And you may still want to throw a closer out there just to you know, to balance out the rest of your categories. And as for stolen bases, stolen bases toward the end of the year is when you can get the guys in the waiver wire. Players are called up, the younger guys, the faster the guys are called up, and you can get more stolen bases later in the year. So there's, I don't think there's a reason to punt saves unless you put all your money in an Alberto Mondesi or a player like that for stolen bases, and you're just completely bombed, and you have, let's say, maybe only two or three points to gain. So the one thing I just want to point out is that when you look at your categories— the question is, what are you looking for? And it, the answer is marginal statistics, marginal. So, for example, if you're in last place and you have 10, I don't know, let's say 10 stolen bases, doesn't matter what it is, and the rest of the league, the next best person has 30, and then 31, 32, well, you're 20 below the other. The marginal distance is 20. Whereas, let's say you've got 10 and the next person has 11, the next person has 12, the next person has 13, that's really tight. You would not want to throw any category where you're tight, and not just tight above you, but tight below you. Let's say you're winning a category by one, by two over the next person, by four over the next person. That's a tight category. You need to fortify that category, or you might lose the points. So when you look at your categories, you need to look at how many points can I gain, how many points can I lose easily, how tight is the category, or how wide is the category. It's not too early to start thinking about it. Now, um, Jason, would would you ever in the middle of the season, maybe a little bit later, maybe half the season, it's hard to punt power because power, as you said before, is correlated with other categories, homers, RBIs. It's hard to do that. But how about on the pitching side? Is there ever a reason to punt ERA to say, you know what, my ERA shot, it's six, and there's no way I can gain anything, so let's just – Put the heck out of two-star pitchers. We're just going to rotate the last three guys in our squad, especially in a shallow league. Just volume, volume, get Ks, get wins, just punt ERA. Is that ever a strategy for you? Uh, it's not really because it's tough to find the type of pitchers that you need to pull that off. As you just said, you know, you want the volume of strikeouts and the volume of wins, but you don't usually find that pitcher available you know, in a league where it's like if they're going to get the wins and they're going to get the strikeouts, but they're going to be terrible uh, towards your you know, towards your ratios. If you're just saying, you know, my ERA, I'm 10th. There's really not much room. I'm just going to try to do that. It's like, you know, Herman Marquez comes to mind, you know, that type of guy. Uh, but you know, there's a reason why he's available because of, of the home start. So if you want to go that route, it depends what's available. Can you find those types of pitchers or can you just stream the volume of that type of uh, type of guy? You're going to try to get every every two start free agent uh, or take a risk where who somebody has got a comfortable lead uh, in the category and be like, I'll, I'll take your guy on here. You take my best ERA guy. I'm getting rid of that. Let me try that. So, uh I think you'd be really limited uh, in that area only because of the pool of available talent you would need to pull that off is is going to be on a lot of rosters uh, or it's going to be a unicorn type pitcher because, again, there aren't that many types of pitchers out there that are getting a lot of wins and a lot of strikeouts with bad ERAs. Chris Archer is my uh, comparison always for that guy. Um, you know, talking about how to fix your team now, 
how do you know when to use the waiver wire and throw fab dollars on a problem or versus resorting to a trade? Like, how do you know what's the best use of resources for you? So, you know, it's, it's obviously easier to do the fab amount, the fab route, because you aren't giving up anything. Uh, you know, that's really the, the challenge in trading is there's, there's the variables in play, right? You have to find a willing trade partner. Uh, and there's not in some leagues, they're just guys that just don't want to trade. We in one of my local leagues, I have a guy that's never made a trade, doesn't even accept them, doesn't decline them, doesn't offer them nothing. Doesn't matter if it, he just doesn't believe in it. So he doesn't trade. Uh, there are other people that are like, nope, very people are like want to hoard their prospects. So you get limited there. Uh, and then sometimes because of the limited opportunities, you end up overpaying for something. Um, and you you have to give up too much to get that. So with fab, at least you're not giving up anything, but uh, uh, the finite amount of fab that you have and uh, so you have to be judicious on how you're going to use that especially if you're in a league that doesn't allow zero bids once that's gone it's gone um you know i've seen some folks in some of the nfbc leagues just blow through it early uh, i remember last year there was a, a team that was a contention that had zero uh for the final two months of the year uh and it ended up hurting uh because of that uh so for me i'd like i'll look at both routes uh but it, Right now, really, it's been at the end of the day, it's been finding fab and, and doing something like that only because a lot of folks aren't willing to trade right now in the trading leagues I am in. Because uh, honestly, in, in my uh, one of my home leagues, the standings between uh, second and seventh place are about nine points apart. Uh, and that's the, those were the will, those that's the pool of people that are willing trade partners normally. But since everybody's in contention, nobody wants to trade. And so right now, I've been plugging holes via fab in that league. Um, but in um gdd the league that we're in together it's like i've made a couple of trades there i've got another uh somebody asking me about another one uh and i haven't been able to plug too many holes with fab so i've been more active in the trade there only because trade talks are very uh ongoing very open and there's multiple i mean it's a 15 team league and there are multiple people out there willing to make deals so really it, i guess i would say league context is going to rule the day there Oh, sure. It's always league contest. And if you can do a little bit worse in GDD, that would help me also, if you don't mind. You know. Yeah, uh, you too. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ruben, your, your thoughts on when you look to resort to a trade versus pure waiver wire? Well, I look at the standings because if you're very far down and you need to plug a lot of holes, then there's no reason. And I think trading would be the ideal thing to do. You can trade one of your top guys and try to plug in two or three holes with that one trade because at this point, if you're very, if you're far behind, you want to try to take on more risk because you want to be able to have more reward because you get more risk with more reward. Um, the, if you are want to make a, a gentle push and you don't want to try to make a, such a big splash, then FAB is the way to go. But the problem is, is that you have to use your FAB correctly. You want to have the FAB hammer. I mean, that's my opinion. You want to have the FAB hammer toward the end of the season so that you can control the FAB market because the other teams won't, won't, uh, won't have the ability to outbid you for certain players, which gives you the advantage throughout the last part of the season when there is no more trading because usually trading stops around the trade deadline for most leagues, um, the trade deadline for, from Major League Baseball. And it's only fab. So if you have the hammer after that, it gives you a huge advantage going down the stretch. So um, talking about redraft now in terms of trades, obviously, you know, dynasty keeper, it's different. Um, to me, 
trades are done for a couple of reasons. You know, trades can be accretive or trades, if you do multiple trades, it could be arbitrage, right? You'd want to do that if you think that you can make a value bet. Um, if you have different valuations than other people in the league of players, it behooves you to trade because they'll think they're getting a bargain that you think you're getting a bargain. And by the way, value in a roto league is really relative to how your team is performing. I mean, that's if, right. Yeah, if you look at your categories and saves means a lot, uh, a closer is a lot more valuable to you if to somebody else who has got three saves all year and they've got a closer. Maybe they have Ryan Presley who just came back. Uh, they probably don't value him as much because probably doesn't do anything in their standings. So the value for him is much greater to you, for Presley is much greater for you than it is for the other person. And there might be a player vice versa. So trading can be used to just balance the value because your team categoric your team categorically is very different and values of players are different for your own rosters. The other reason you'd want to trade in my mind is uniqueness of profile. If you're in a league, usually deeper, where there's just not a lot of unique profiles. You you have you don't you don't see a lot of guys who can go fifteen fifteen on the waiver wire. You don't see a lot of guys who can do multiple categories. Uh, you know, good strikeouts, good whip. You know, if you see a very unique profile, maybe a big speedster, maybe a big saves guy, a big power hitter. If you won't see that on the waiver wire, you the only resort is to trade, right? If there's somebody that can be replicable on the waiver wire, you don't want to trade. So uniqueness is another thing that I look for. If I can't find uniqueness on the waiver wire, I'll look to go to do a trade to see whether I can extract some value from that. That's how I look at trading for that. Um, all right, we're going to move on to our AL East discussion. Today's episode is the AL East, so we're going to go around the division. But first, we'll start with the Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. So the first team we're going to discuss today for the AL East are going to be the Tampa Bay Rays. Now the Tampa Bay Rays are going through some adversity this year because they have a lot of injuries. So my trivia question is this. Can you name the top five teams in MLB with the most cumulative players this year on the IL? <laughs> Jason? Oh, that's for me. Wow. Yeah, that's going to be a uh, Let's see. Off the top of my head, uh, I would put Tampa Bay in like, third place on that list that is pretty um, good they are they are tied for third they have 19 hey, they've that. had a total of 19 <laughs> players on there it certainly feels like it um i would then add wow um san francisco in the top five they are not uh okay um cincinnati feels like they've got to be high Cincinnati is tied with the Rays with also 19 cumulative okay. players on the IL. Can I guess? Oh, one down. Yes. Three uh, yeah, more. Padres was in my head, too. I was thinking Padres. Uh, no, the Marlins? Padres are not. Nope. Wow. I'm probably missing something obvious. Listeners are probably going, How about oh the God, Mets? It's always the Mets. <laughs> no, this, this year it's not the Mets. This is not the Mets or the Yankees. Right. Usually it's one of those two teams, but it's not. The number one team with the most cumulative players on the IL this year, the Chicago Cubs. 22 players the twins had 20 and the rays reds and pirates were tied with 19. so now the question to you jason they've had all these injuries can the rays survive these injuries and actually uh, challenge the yankees for the division see and that's the thing i was having this conversation with a friend the other day uh yeah 
recently, I mean, we're, I'm sorry, the other day, about a week and a half ago, we were talking about, man, the Yankees have just been playing so well. Uh, and at the time, they hadn't, they hadn't had any big injuries. Stanton was still healthy. Uh, Donaldson uh, was still healthy. He hadn't had his, his issues, right? So they were on the field, and that was really the big thing. And, and Chapman hadn't got hurt. So that's, that's putting this, the stamp on it. But they've had those issues, and they haven't really lost anything because you know, they had, the Yankees had those issues, and then the Rays have uh, had attrition, right? They, had, they lost uh, Brandon Lau. Uh, then now Wander Franco you know, put him on the IL Monday. Thanks for that. All, or Tuesday. Love when they wait a day into the scoring period to do that, right? Uh, so and, and the, so their depth has been tested. So if you look at the lineup right now, uh, you know they've had to give Vidal Brujan, and they've had to get Taylor Walls, and they've had to get Brett Phillips uh, more playing time than those guys really deserve right now. Uh, and so they, they've struggled to score runs. I made a joke last night when they finally got a base runner that you know the baseball was taken off the field, authenticated by the league, and sent the Coopers down because they, they had gone like one for 40-something at that point. Uh, and that's how that's and they ended up winning that game and they won today so their depth is being tested right now and they don't have much else to come up from triple a so uh you know shane boz is, is close to coming back on the pitching side but the pitching has been really well for the has, has done well for them this year uh it's the hitting uh and you know bruhan it was a was a fourth rated prospect coming into the season taylor walls yes was uh, no more for his defensive work uh coming up but he too uh has struggled to hit you know brett phillips is what he is uh, and so, like, what's next? Is Josh Lowe ready to come up? Uh, another name I'll mention in a minute. So we'll see what happens. But their depth has been tested. Uh, so perhaps uh, they take advantage of some of these other teams that are, you know, looking for the future. Uh, and because I've I made the comment to somebody else uh, today, Vidal Bruhan really is somebody who should be in, in AAA uh, or playing every day for a second division team using an older baseball term uh, so he can develop. But, you know, he's being asked to develop for a team that's contending for a playoff spot. Uh, and uh, he has shown very few uh, spots uh, of showing any growth uh in that regard it just looks really overmatched to me so uh it's it's a depth problem uh right now but if, if so let's say they acquire something like the yankees can go out and do the same thing uh so yeah it would it would take not something catastrophic but i i would be stunned and i this is how i felt coming into the season i would be stunned if the yankees did not win this division yeah could be tough but uh good luck to the rays uh in in their quest um Question, talk about uh, Shane McClanahan, who's currently the strikeout leader in all of Major League Baseball. That's pretty darn good. He's got a 2.01 ERA and a .91 whip. Uh, can he keep this up all season long? What, what's your outlook on McClanahan rest of season? I love watching him pitch, even, you know, even if he didn't pitch for my favorite club. I love watching him pitch because... He has a plan and he executes it extremely well. Uh, you know, he will make a mistake every now and then, uh, give up the home run, but it tends to be a solo shot because he doesn't dig. He doesn't dig himself in the hole by putting extra guys on base and then giving it up. But he executes his pitching plan extremely well, uh, and he can throw. You know, four pitches. I've seen him throw left on left change up. It's like he's. He, he's making that step forward. It reminds me a lot of, of Blake Snell's Cy Young season. Uh, if you go back and look the the seasons before Blake Snell won a Cy Young, there'd be ups and downs of starts. He'd have a 30-pitch first inning, different things like that. And that Cy Young season, everything came together for him so well. And, and he like pitched so he pitched with the maturity 
of, of like a 30, 32 year old vet and not a 24 year old kid. I think he was 24 that season. And you're seeing it from McClanahan as well. It's like everything's coming together for him. You know, he's, he, he will throw a, a, 2-0 breaking ball. He's not just falling into fastball counts and saying, okay, I'm just going to throw a fastball. That's what he did when he first came up. Uh, and he got taught hard lessons in that regard. So it's been really fun to watch him execute his craft. Uh, and so really the only concern I would have with him moving forward is how much of a workload will they allow him to have for the rest of the season? Because he's the only guy uh, that's really been going six or seven uh, here lately. I know there's a couple times earlier where they were like, you're five and dive, you're out. And he was frustrated by that. But as long as he's uh, efficient with his pitches, then they're letting them stay out there. Uh, and so at, you know, at the end of the day, it really comes down to the pitches more than the inning count. And as long as he's uh, not falling behind uh, and, and staying efficient, he can stay out there like he has in his recent start. And he's getting the strikeouts not by and he's not piling up the pitch count while doing it which is really impressive i was gonna ask you because he, he had 123 innings pitched last year and this year he's already at 58 so he's almost half of where he was last year it's a little bit concerning would would you if you if you have him on your roster would you want to trade him at this point because you don't know if he's going to be if not shut down but limited in some of his starts yeah, and that, I mean, a rule of thumb for me is like, I'm always, nobody's nailed down on my roster. I'll trade anybody, right? Uh, and, but if I'm, if I'm trading him, you know, people are going to understand, people will look at it and say, oh, they must be concerned because there is that. The Rays, for the most part, have tried to, tried to limit workload increases year over year to 20 to 25%. Uh, they don't want it to go any, any higher than that. And I thought, you know, they did a really good job of managing his workload from uh, 2020, from 2020 into 2021. So if you figure uh, coming into the season, I was I was looking at 140 innings tops. Anything above that would be gravy. Uh, and so he's at 58 now. You, you know, you look at projection. You probably projected pace uh, would be you know 165 right now. So that's that's 25. That's maybe four more outings than I, I was expecting uh, with that. And so yeah, I would be willing to sell him, especially in the context of the earlier conversation we were having. Like, what else does my team need? You know, if I can go out and trade a McClanahan to somebody who's got a, an extra reliever, and I, I I see an opportunity to move up in saves, and I can grab that, and then grab a lesser starter, do a two for one, uh, and help my overall roster. I'm certainly willing to listen to that because he's pitching. Uh, I don't. He's not pitching up, uh, ahead of his skis as far as talent, but as far as projected workload. If you thought he was a uh, like I did, if you thought he was a 140 inning guy, who's now pitching at 165 inning pace, I have honestly have a tough time believing the club is going to let him go from 123 to 165. And if that puts him into the postseason, then you're looking at all that extra workload as well. Uh, and that would be a massive jump year over year, and it's just something they haven't historically done. Yeah, that's the big question is the innings. Skills are there. I mean, he's got a 36% strikeout rate this year, 5% walk rate. That's tremendous, and he's not even he's not lucky. I mean, his BABIP, 279, that's, that's pretty neutral, cl- close to it. His strand rate is high. It's at 90%, so maybe he's uh, not – maybe uh, he is keeping down the ERA that way, but it's certainly not via the homer. His homer-to-fly ball rate is 21%. That's really high, uh, which will produce a very big difference between the FIP and XFIP. FIP is 2.6. His XFIP is actually 1.83. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? His, his uh, XFIP – the difference between XFIP and FIP is that XFIP assumes a league-average homer-to-fly ball rate – 
which actually he's been unlucky, if anything. So isn't that crazy that he's been unlucky with the homer? Can you imagine that? Uh, so he's really great. And his ground ball rate is over 50%. So that's a really, really good floor. Uh, projections are, are a little bit all over the place. Steamer has him at about a 3 ERA after the season. The bat is closer to 375. So, um, you know, use last year as a guide. Last year he had a 3-4-3 ERA. I think it's a pretty good guide to go forth. But this guy is, is solid. So it's just a question of innings. Before we uh, leave the Rays, is there a sneaky fantasy pick or player maybe you want to talk about, Jason, on on the rise uh, for Tampa? So, you know, I mentioned earlier the struggle for offense, and that's going to happen when you're a team that's uh, that's built on a budget and, and two of your best projected hitters are both on the IL. Uh, not to mention that they got, you know, they, they moved last year's RBI leader. Uh, and I'm, I'm all, I'm all, I was all for that move uh, because, as we know, RBI is a skill of opportunity. Uh, but, you know, they, they took out some bats out of this lineup uh between injuries and trade, and they've struggled to produce runs. And so, so somebody that I've been impressed with uh, at the plate is Isak Paredes. Uh, but then Luke Rayleigh down in the minors, that's somebody they acquired during the offseason. Luke Rayleigh's really hitting well in Durham, uh, but you know he will be limited to a, a DH role. Uh, he would be duplicit, duplicit to... Uh, uh, G-Man Choi, so it'd be tough to see that kind of uh, happen. But uh, at some point, as the roster gets healthy, uh, they need some more pop. And if they're not going to trade for it, and let's be real, they typically don't make those trades in season. Uh, they're going to have to build in-house. And Luke Rayleigh is somebody who has, has shown the ability to hit the ball. Um, and perhaps that's the route they decide to go. All right, let's move over to the Yankees, and let's start with Ruvain, the New Yorker, on this one. Uh, what are we doing in fantasy with Joey Gallo? Um, I, I mean, you bought him for the power, but we, we don't see the power. We, he's got five homers, which absolutely doesn't cut it for Gallo. You can have those crappy batting averages if Gallo's going to steal 40, if, if Gallo's going to hit 40 homers and steal five, six bases, but it ain't happening. His exit velocity's down, his barrel rate's down, his walk rate's down, strikeout rate way up. Uh, what are we doing? Are we are we cutting him? Are we holding? Are we we're, are we sitting? What are you doing with him? Well, I don't think you're cutting him, but sitting him is I probably I think is the best option at this point because he only has like you mentioned he has five home runs and he's batting one seventy nine. If you have Jonathan Scope on your roster, he has five home runs batting one ninety six. I mean, they're similar players. You're you, why if you ha- wouldn't have a problem sitting Jonathan Scope, why wouldn't you have a problem sitting Joey Gallon? That's the name. He, his name. He's known for hitting forty home runs. He's just not doing it yet. Um, his analytic numbers all there. They're they're all there. They're all the same. He looks like the same person. It's just he's not hitting the home runs, and that's where his value is. You bought him. You go. You got him in your draft for home runs. He's not getting it for you. You got to sit him down. I wouldn't. I wouldn't drop him. I would try to trade him, but nobody really wants him either. And, I, I mean, maybe when the summer gets warmer outside, he'll hit more home runs at Yankee Stadium. But otherwise, he's going to sit on my bench until he heats up and gets his batting average a little bit closer to the Mendoza line. So catcher William Contreras on Atlanta has seven home runs. That's more than Joey Gallo. Well, what are you doing with Joey Gallo, uh, Jason? Uh, Revenge uh, mention of Jonathan Scope is perfect uh, because – you know, with with scope, you know, he started out of the season so terribly. But look at scope over the last week to ten days. Scope's starting to heat up. So those listening, if scope's available, you know, 
have everybody else focus on that 197 average because it's come up like 40 points in the last 10 days uh, and he's starting to hit the ball again but the difference between Jonathan Scope and Joey Gallo is the Tigers don't have anything else they'll let Scope go out there and play every day uh, and so he, he's, he's hit his way into his opportunities Joey Gallo has been riding the bench for the Yankees he's been riding the bench on all three of the fantasy teams that I've had this guy on uh, because you know, the, as you said you know you, you went after him for the power but he has just done absolutely nothing as a as a Yankee he's hitting 167 with 18 home runs uh, in 99 games uh, it just has not played out he's a free agent after this year which is the scary thing is like this is but I, I think the Yankees are in the same boat as we are as fantasy owners They're, they don't want to deal him and have him go to somebody else and be productive and perhaps have to face him in the postseason if he snaps out of all this but again it's been almost it's 99 games he has done nothing uh, and, and they're not even using him, but he's on my bench until uh, something changes, whether in his, you know, in his where he's playing or whatever. But it's it's been really tough to watch to watch this because he also like he leads the league in uh, in games with three or more strikeouts. He has the most, uh, and it's just it's really tough. And and, and in spite of all this, the, in spite of the 141 plate appearances of next to nothing. <laughs> Yankees are still five and a half games in first place. Yeah, the word is yikes. Um, only, only, only reason to really keep him is, A, first of all, power plays this year. Home runs are down, so if you can hit a homer, it's worth more. Uh, but also, it's going to be summer soon, so maybe the ball will heat up, maybe. Uh, it's hard to just cut him. If you're in a 10-team league or, or so, and you have a better option, at this point you might think about replacing him because that average is killing you. Um, if you're 12-team and deeper, you should probably keep him but bench him until he heats up. Uh, it's okay if you lose that one week, you'll find a better option. Um, Nestor Cortez, Jordan Montgomery, fantastic pitching so far. Um, are you? What are your thoughts on I mean, uh, Cortez sort of came out of nowhere. Montgomery was uh, preseason uh favorite to really take the next step looks like he has uh what are your thoughts on those two uh arms so the as we're recording this how crazy is it that garrett cole has the highest era of any yankee starter that's how things have gone i mean i, I, I don't Spider know tech. how jameson <laughs> yeah i don't know how jameson tyon is pitching tonight in the second game of the double header uh but nestor cortez 150 era jordan montgomery uh is i think at 3.06 uh, Tyon was about 2-7 coming into the game, and then Garrett Cole's at 3-1-4. Uh, and so one of the things that's changed this week for both Cortez and Montgomery is run support. Uh, that's And Montgomery in particular has been getting screwed on that. He finally got his first win this week because the Yankees went out and gave him five runs of support and the bullpen didn't blow it for the first time all year. He has had something like 25 of no decisions in his last 38 outings and it's been crazy. I, I love the dude. I mean, I have I was all in on him last year. I picked him up again this year and he's now one and one uh, and he's pitching much better this year. The ratios are there. The strikeouts are there. Um, he's just the run support has been just missing in action and it's kind of weird to say that with the Yankees uh, but you know, run support is not equal equally distributed uh, across a roster. So some guys like Garrett Cole gets a ton of it, uh, and Jameson Tyon gets a good amount of it. But Nestor Cortez and Jordan Montgomery have not. Uh, what's been impressive about Cortez in particular, and I would apply this the same thing to Martin Perez with the Rangers. I mean, these are the two guys that are currently leading all of baseball in ERA, and you know. 
there's no way anybody would have projected that at any point of the season coming into the season. Uh, but when you watch him pitch, it's just like it, it kind of reminds me of the old Sid Fernandez approach. I'm going to work up. I'm going to work down. I'm going to do everything I can to avoid the heart of the strike zone. Uh, and as long as he can keep hitting all of his spots the way he is with the sweepy slider, with the cutter, I mean, he when you watch him pitch, He's just out there playing catch with whoever's behind the plate, uh, and it's. I mean, as a as a fan of pitching, it's been enjoyable to watch. Uh, as somebody uh, as a fan of Tampa Bay, when he pitches against him, it sucks. Uh, but it is what it is. And when you look at the the way ba- the baseball is this year, and this is the same thing with Martin Perez with with the mush ball in play. If you're a pitcher that can just sit on the outside part of the plate and dare hitters to go the other way with something. Go ahead, because that ball is just not traveling. You're not seeing the amount of opposite field home runs this year as, as we've saw in, in Happy Fun Ball year of 2019 or even last year. You know, Sarah's had a really good article about it uh, at the Athletic, talking about it about the, the 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 decline of opposite field power and pitchers that can have the command to sit out there on the fringes of the strike zone and 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 then as you're leaning out be able to bust you in uh, the way Perez and Cortez are in the mushball era. You know, they're taking advantage of the environment that we find ourselves in. And kudos yeah. to them for having the skills to do it. That, that's how uh, Tom Glavin lived, right on the outside there, right? Um, way on the outside, but yeah. yeah. Don't get me started on that guy. <laughs> right. Uh, he did play for the Mets. Uh, Ruben, your thoughts. I, I kind of like Cortez a little bit better than Montgomery for some reason. Um, some of the luck estimators are a little bit lucky in Montgomery's favor. Uh, he's got a 4% walk rate for Montgomery. I, I think that's just unsustainable. Uh, but I don't know. Nestor Cortez, there's something about him that he's just making the most of his ability. Uh, both these guys, of course, are overperforming. But uh, I, I don't think they're all going to drop uh, like a rock. I think these are guys that you can count on for production. Do you agree? Well, I think that Cortez is going to have an issue going on later in the season because just like McClanahan, he only had 110 innings pitched last year. So how high, how many innings is he going to go? If the Yankees make it to the postseason, how many more innings? Is he still going to be effective with those innings? But he's not such a hard thrower. So because he's not throwing 98-99, I don't think he's going to have as much of an issue as another pitcher who has a big jump in their, in their pitches. As for Jordan Montgomery, he has been lucky, but he also has a slight pedigree. He had these. He had the same type of uh, success or, or similar to it before he was injured uh, last couple of years and he's just bringing it back and he's just fine-tuning it um Nestor Cortez I think the best way to uh, to describe it to people who have I mean I don't know if people saw Tom Glavin or know how old our listeners are but Bartolo Colon people remember Bartolo Colon he did the same thing he just he didn't throw 100 miles an hour he threw 91 92 he can get up to 94 95 if he had to and he was able to hit every corner on a dime and if you can if you can do that you can pitch forever the question is how effective he'll be once he gets past the 110 inning mark, 130, 140, 150. And the Yankees are going to be contending this year, so they're going to need him later on this year. So we'll see how the Yankees play with him. Did, did you hear that rumor that uh, Big Sexy was uh, talking to the Mets about a possible return? Did you hear that one? As a 49-year-old pitcher, that's a, that's amazing. <laughs> well, why not? The Mets had they had Julio Franco, and he hit a home run when he was like 46 or 47. And actually, Ruvain, uh, we... Uh, uh, <laughs> I nominated uh, uh, Bartolo Colon this year in Tout Wars. Uh, <laughs> yes, you did. Shohei Otani pitcher put up uh, yes, Bartolo Colon. So, um, yeah, and we, we didn't win him. It's a shame. 
We did not. All right. Um, uh, last question: The Yankees. Aaron Judge. I mean, he's having an uh, an MVP caliber year. Uh, the AL WAR leaders: Jose Ramirez uh, at three, Rafael Devers at three, Mike Trout two point nine, Aaron Judge two point eight. The rest of the pack at starting at two point two. I'll just list them. You got Jeremy Pena. Wow. Ty France, Tim Anderson, Xander Bogarts. Uh, Aaron Judge playing for a very much contending team. Uh, is certainly legit a legit contender. What are your thoughts, Jason, on Aaron Judge as far as his candidacy for AL MVP this year? Yeah, I mean, kudos for the guy for betting on himself and then going out there and doing what he's doing. Uh, I mean, the, the last couple of years, we always knew what he was capable of, but it always seemed like he was everybody wanted him to have that 54 home run season again where it's like wow he you know that's what he did and because he wasn't doing that he was a disappointment but we always knew what he was capable of and for two months of the year he's absolutely doing it and you think is you look at the rest of the rod there hasn't been you mentioned some of those other names it's like you know Rafael Devers has got Xander Bogarts and he's got JD Martinez you know who's got certainly gotten hot uh, of late helping him and uh, you know Shohei Otani has Mike Trout you know they've got that that uh, duo going along but Aaron Judge hasn't really had anybody else consistently step up and like be the help him carry I mean he's really truly carrying this team out there but I would say the same thing about Jose Ramirez it seems like he's driving in everybody that's on base uh you know he's already got 52 runs driven in uh so at the you know it's gonna be tough to uh, I don't see Judge running away with this but you know if the Yankees win the division by nine games that's certainly gonna help uh that we don't know where, where Cleveland's gonna be uh in the in the central if they can win that but Ramirez I mean statistically has been amazing uh considering what we thought Cleveland would be coming into the season and that who was gonna pitch to this guy uh but they're pitching to him and they and they continue to make he continues to make everybody pay for it uh the problem is he's just not the, the only knock on on Ramirez he's just not scoring the runs with the volume of time he's on base because of the lack of talent behind him whereas Judge has you know he's got nine more runs scored because he's driven himself in five more times than Ramirez has so we'll see how it goes uh but Judge is certainly performing better than most people projected him to do this year even uh at even in a in a final year like this uh, you know we've done a lot as you know pundits and whatnot to discredit the theory of contract year uh, and then Judge is going out and doing this so we may have to get back on that you know, break out those pens and start writing that story again because uh, it's people are going to be pointing this saying, oh, yeah, contract years don't exist. And explain Aaron Judge having this massive year in the final year of his free age, his final year of his uh, team control like this. Aaron Judge is almost the definition of the team's most valuable player, just as you said. Like, uh, as you said, every everybody else has uh, somebody else to pick him up. Judge is doing this on his own, and he's just such a big part of the reason why the Yankees, on the offensive side, on the pitching side, that the Yankees have really held their own. But that offense, oh, man, Judge is just everything. Uh, really, really. Uh, you know, listen, I'm a Met fan, but really enjoy uh, watching him play. He's fantastic. And is it true that each 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 home run that Judge hits does that make him one step closer from leaving the Yankees? I, I it's tough. I don't know how they go back. How you know after they they tried to work something out, they didn't get something done. I don't know how. Yeah, maybe perhaps the Yankees didn't turn around and say, all right, fine, you did it. Here, here's the money that you wanted. But if I'm him, I'm like, yeah, that was my price back in the offseason. But now that I've done this, my price has gone up. 
Uh, but then how many other players I would be concerned about like the Trevor Story situation where Trevor Story ended up going to Boston because he ran out of options. Like he wanted to go to Texas and then the agency got a little aggressive and Texas was like, fine, we're going to go another route. Uh, and all of a sudden Trevor Story, who is from Texas, wanted to go back to Texas, is in Boston. Uh, and I think uh, that was an impact for how slowly he started the season until he got hot in the last couple of weeks. Uh, but that's the other risk you, you play is at his, you know, judge is going to be what, 32? Um, there's only a handful of teams that can truly, uh, no, let's take it back. There's a lot of teams that can afford to sign him. But there's only a handful of teams that will actually break out the checkbook to do it. Uncle Steve, baby. Uncle Steve. All right. Uh, let's go to the Blue Jays. Uh, let's start with Ruvain on this. Of these two players, who will end up with the higher rotisserie value for the whole year? Is it Bo Bichette or Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? Bo Bichette. And, and going into the draft, I wanted Bo Bichette over Vladimir Guerrero. I had Vladimir Guerrero available to me. I think in TGFBI, I had pick number six, and I and Vlad was there, and I didn't take him. I took a picture instead because I didn't want Vlad because I couldn't get Bo. Bo was taken earlier. Bo steals. Bo knows. If you, if you don't know, Bo is named after Bo Jackson because Dante Bichette's favorite player growing up was Bo Jackson. I don't know if you know that. And also, you know Bo, uh, Bo Bichette's beautiful hair? Do you know that he uses horse shampoo to fit out for his hair i you should read the back of some of these guys you, now. you never know we find this stuff is like crazy but the stolen bases and the and the, and the home runs and the and the good average i mean look at vlad uh, uh, average it's down 60 points from last year i mean if if he doesn't have that average he's not as valuable because he doesn't steal and because bo has a little bit higher average he steals more he'll hit less home runs he's more has more of a five to a player and i think he'll have more value toward the end of the year are you agreeing, Jason? Well, it makes sense that he uses horse shampoo. I mean, that's quite the mane of hair that he has there, <laughs> uh, right? Uh, so in, in all seriousness, though, one of the things I mentioned this earlier about uh, Eno's article about the, the lack of opposite field home runs. I mean, that was one of the things when you look at last year, and this applies to both Guerrero uh, and Bichette, but the fact they played in Dunedin and Buffalo, uh, two great hitting parks, uh, and, and it, it certainly helped them. Uh, and like Bichette had 12 of his home runs last year uh, were the other way. And he, that's not happening this year. He, he's not hitting the home run the opposite uh, opposite field. And the, the stolen bases is something that's really uh, interesting because he was 25 of 26 last year on the bases. He is, he's four of seven this year. So it's just like one of these weird things, and you look, then you go and look at his Statcast pro profile. He's like 56 percentile in sprint speed right now. So how did you go from 25 to 26 uh, and running like that to to being you know four of seven right now? That's not going to cut it, and that's how you get grounded uh, with that. But you know, last year his sprint speed was 74th percentile. This year's 56. So. Perhaps something's up there, and I, you know, I do not track these guys on a day-by-day -day basis, so I don't know if he's trying to play uh, through a leg injury like you know we mentioned with Wander Franco uh, earlier, and they finally put him on the IL, but uh, you know he is not running as quickly as he had, and the fact that he's been thrown out uh, three of his seven attempts, uh, it's going to be really tough for him to get back to the 20-plus steals unless some of that speed comes back up or he does a better job of, of taking, it, taking it. So that's where... Uh, I have the concerns with, with Vlad. I, he's the better hitter. So at the end of the day, I'm going to say I'm, I'm going with uh, Guerrero to have more fantasy value by the end of the season. Not by much. Uh, 
but it's a, that, I just wanted to point that out with uh, Bichette and the speed because it's one of those things where it's like I was I was super high on him coming into the season with the ability with the five tools and that twenty five for twenty six with steals was just eye opening for a young guy and this year it's just literally been slow out of the gate and I don't know what's going on. Yeah, Bichette is. Um, I mean, he has four steals. I I, I think that um, yeah, twenty is going to be out of the question, but maybe he can get to to fifteen. He's got seven homers. Um, he's really a three hundred batting average player. He's only hitting two fifty five. So I think the best is actually yet to come for Bichette, who seems somewhat streaky. Uh, currently, Bichette has nineteen dollars of roto value for the whole season. Vlad has sixteen. I think in a rotisserie league, the answer is Bichette. In a points league, Vlad, to me, is still uh, going to end up with more value. Talk about Teoscar Hernandez. Um, wow, he's pretty abysmal this year. 71 WRC+, plus, 200 batting average, .1 war. His ground ball rate went from 35% to 57 this year. Ouch. Battle rate down from 14 to 6. Uh, what is going on with him? Is he going to lose playing time? You got Kirk who's batting well. Maybe they'll give him more at-bats. Uh, are you sitting Tioscar at all? Are you going to attempt to trade him? What are we doing with him? Uh, the Blue Jays seem to be unfazed. They're batting him fourth every single day. So that gives me a little bit of hope for him that the Blue Jays maybe see something that we don't, and they're still sticking with him even though that they're going for it this year, the Blue Jays. So what's your take, uh, Jason, on Tioscar Hernandez? I want him. I'll trade for him. Let me have him. If you're listening, you're in a league. I want him if you're getting an offer uh, from me. Uh, and so like you know, today, uh, I was looking through when I saw when I saw him on the agenda, I was like, okay, let's let's talk about Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, you know, his he has six extra base hits, two home runs and four doubles here in the last three games. Like he's starting to heat up. And I know it was uh, May was awful. And you look at May and he hit 151, 195, 233. That was his triple slash. It was really tough, but let's not forget, he went on the IL with that oblique injury in the middle of April. And so he basically had to restart his season. So he, he went on the IL, came back on May 7th, and has crawled his way back to this point. Uh, and so here over the past few days, I mean, he just, he stuck it to the White Sox. That series, uh, he just... You know, two for two for two for four, two for three, two for five. Uh, you know, so we're starting to see that bat come back. And you look at his, then you go look at his the Statcast profile. You still see a lot of red ink. You're seeing uh, top twentieth percentile on exit velocity, hard hit, barrel rate, sprint speed. Like all the tools are still there. He's still a terrible defender. All right, it, but who cares? Uh, and and you were talking about the struggles of, of Toronto with uh, with Bichette and and Guerrero, but the whole team has honestly been as a whole disappointing there have been some surprises in that offense but overall they're not performing to the level that we thought they were and, and his struggles in may were a big reason but if this white Sox series was the spark needed to get him back where he needed to be i'm saying that the window to go get hernandez at a discount is rapidly closing uh this kid's too good to be this bad as we saw in may and i call him a kid because he's still under 30 right uh but this window is going to rapidly shut uh, to acquire him and the fact that he's hitting 210 with three home runs and 13 RBIs right now uh, is, is going to help you if you want to go acquire him uh, at some kind of discount. But again, do it this week because after this week, you're not going to get another chance. Wow, very strong words from Jason on Teoscar Hernandez. I mean, to me, the Blue Jays batting him fourth every single day. They could bat him sixth or seventh if he's struggling, right? But they're not. Uh, that that tells me that uh, they are positive and uh, clubs know a lot more than we do. You agree, Ruben? 
think about this. On May 23rd, he was batting 149. Now he's batting 210. So he just needed to get hot. And when he gets hot, he gets unconscious hot. He can carry your fantasy team for weeks and literally months at a time. And if you can get him 100%, I 100% agree, Jason. If you can get him at a discount, get it now because you will not be able to get it by the mid, by mid uh, mid July. He's going to be off and running as with the rest of the uh, the Blue Jays. They've won 8 in a row. And as Teoscar Hernandez goes, it seems like that's the way the Blue Jays go. Yeah. Same thing with Marcus Semyon, by the way. He's been very hot recently. He actually homered today also. Uh, so uh, definitely uh, the mm-hmm. window, if you're going to trade for him, is closing. Let's go to the Red Sox. Um, you know, there's a very crowded AL East here, Tampa. You got the Blue Jays, the Yankees. Question is, are the Red Sox really going to make a run for it this year? If not, will they trade pieces away? They have a ton of free agents coming off the books. J.D. Martinez, Nadio Valdi, Vasquez, Kike Hernandez, Waka, Rich Hill, Hansel Robles. So they have pieces that won't be a part of their team next year to trade. Um, what's the story? Do you think that they're just going to trade and fizzle out? Is that is that where the Red Sox are headed this year in 2022, Jason? It, they've been a weird team, honestly, because you know there are there were times where this is as talented as this offensive roster is. There have been times where they have struggled to scratch together two runs in a game. It's been crazy to watch. Uh, and then they were on that over the past couple of weeks, this super heater uh, where everybody's hitting. Uh, and then then they got shut out by the Orioles, and they almost got shut out by the Reds in back-to-back games. And it's just like, what what is this team? Uh, and so when you look at where they're struggling, is you know Kiki Hernandez and Alex Verdugo are two players that have certainly performed well below expectations this year. Uh, and and Kiki Hernandez has been leading off, and that's been part of the problem. But then. Uh, you know, story we said struggled uh, out of the gate, and then he got hot during that heater. JD Martinez is hitting 360 on the season, right? Uh, to talk about another guy who is is playing for his contract, right? Uh, so they've got the pieces for this, but which what team is this? Is it the team that continues to struggle to put together a winning streak? Um, and then you look at the pitching side of the ledger, and it, it's honestly a mess. Who knows what's happening in the bullpen? Um, and so when you, as you mentioned, when you look at all of the pieces that are not nailed down because they're at the final year of the contract, uh, you know, it could, it would not surprise him to see Kyle Bloom to say, okay, we are this far out. Uh, we can't hold on to all these guys. We may sell off a couple of them and, and, and use the same line. We're playing for the now and the later. I mean, he certainly is used to saying that line you know, all the time he spent in Tampa Bay because that's what they've always said. Uh, but it's really tough to look at Boston. You can't write them off because just the talent on that roster. Uh, but I've just seen, you know, for weeks, them struggle to score. And then they just went on this crazy. And then I was, you know, as a AL East guy, I was like, oh, man, here they got, they got, they got Baltimore. They got Cincinnati. They got Oakland coming in. This schedule is going to be perfect for them. And they're just struggling to take advantage of this. Instead of taking a step up, they're backsliding again. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the bullpen. Uh, can anybody guess who and how many... Who leads the team in saves with how many? Jake Diekman with five? <laughs> nope. You're probably no. It's not Jake Diekman, and it's less than five. And it's it's not Matt Barnes. He's on the island. Hansel now. Robles with four? It's Matt Barnes tied with Hansel Robles for two each. <laughs> two each. <laughs> two wow. Each. My goodness. I mean, th- th- this wow. bullpen is ridiculous. Uh, I mean, you got Stram, Schreiber, Diekman, who are right now co-closers, if you want to call it, or a committee. Um, Barnes, I, I mean, the question is, uh, if you had to bet, 
who is going to have the most saves from here on in? Or actually, just do the whole season because nobody has any saves. Who's going to lead the, the Red Sox in saves this season? I'm going to say Matt Barnes. Well, he's on the aisle right now. Who knows when he comes back, though? He's on the aisle. I would I would say Robles uh, because, I mean, even Barnes has looked bad for a while. Barnes has looked bad since um, Sticky Tack went away. Let's be real. Uh, so, I mean, but Robles is, has had – he's had his, his moments – Strom's had his moments. It's just been one of these weird. They we knew this bullpen was going to be a question mark coming into the season. They didn't really do anything about it, and it's showing uh, to this point. But any of the Chris Sales get ready to go back on a rehab assignment, uh, go out in a rehab assignment. So when he comes back, what is he going to come back as? You know, they've been very hesitant to put Whitlock back in the bullpen. Tanner Houck's been kind of the swing swing guy. But do they bring Sale and say, okay, you know, Chris? Uh, you've had struggles staying healthy. Go to the bullpen this year. Just go to the pen and let's see what we can do with you this year. So uh, it's it's really a crazy situation. If I'm a Boston fan, I certainly understand uh, the frustration, uh, but I understand the distraction too because you're watching the Celtics and and you're not fully focused on the Red Sox right now. <laughs> uh, so once that's over, then you're going to turn your attention back to baseball, and then it's going to be like, what the hell? What happened here? <laughs> well, I was joking about Matt Barnes. It's not going to be him. But uh, moving, what's your take? Chris Sale um, did close when to start his career. He was a closer for the White Sox yes, when he, he started his career. So that's that's not out of the realm of possibility for that to be. But I think it's going to be Matt Stram. I think he has a lot of skills. His K per nine is close to is like nine and a half, something like that. Ten. He fits the mold. So I think it, and ATC the projection system has been high in Matt Stram for a couple of years already. So I think that he's probably the best guy in their current bullpen. However, if the Red Sox get hot and they start to make a run, I think their leading saves holder for this year is not on their team ah that's a big if i think they're sellers not buyers they've got a lot of those free agents and uh it's too to me it's just too crowded now there are more playoff spots this year so maybe but uh i'm gonna say they're gonna sell uh let's quickly do the orioles uh jorge mateo quite a bit of uh, stolen bases so far not really batting all that well otherwise, but in Roto, it's he it's very uh, worthwhile. He's worth nine dollars uh, in a fifteen team five by five league. Are you selling high now on Jorge Mateo, Jason? Uh, getting back to how we started this podcast, team context. If right. uh, context, if he's carrying my steals, it's like I it, you have to you have to hold on to him. But if he's got a couple things going for him, one he plays uh, for a bad team that can afford him the opportunity to play because he's also out of options. Uh, and with that speed, if they were to let him go, oh, and by the way, he also does play really good defense. Uh, and so th- this he may not be part of the future. He, believe it or not, he's still only 26 years old. Uh, but at this point, this if he were to get DFA'd, he would be quickly picked up by another team um, looking for this. But it's really tough to carry him. He's hitting 220, and he's got 13 steals despite a 251 on base percentage. Uh, and it's because if you watch him hit, you see what you see what the problem is. Um, it's like Billy Hamilton, uh, but a lot better on defense uh, with this. And so that's where it struggles. But I, I understand if if you're struggling with team speed that you, you kind of have to hold them but other than that I don't know how you can because it's such a drain on everything else uh because you know, batting average OBP league both of these are it's even worse than an OBP league I mean 251 OBP uh is rough because he's out there every day yeah I mean I think that uh, his value is what it is I think that what you're seeing so far that's really who he is and that is a valuable in a, in a deeper league so as long as your team can handle it and has the power to balance it he fits and he's valuable um i i 
de- I mean, it's definitely a, a trade if, if it works for you. Otherwise, it's a hold. I think that uh, um, I, I do believe in him, and I don't believe in I believe in exactly what he's doing now to continue. Uh, but you have to be in, careful. Or? You don't want you don't want to overpay for him if you want to try to get him in a trade also because he is a drain everywhere else. But he's got the speed. I mean, two hundred and eighty three career stolen bases in the minors. So he's got plenty of speed. So if you can milk somebody and 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 get a whole boatload of uh, different players or or a, a possible closer for him out or, or who has a secure job, I'd hundred percent do that. Hundred percent trade him. Yep. Um. You know, the Orioles are not so great this year, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure they're they're going to finish close to last or second to last. Uh, question is, are there any trade candidates this year that maybe their fantasy value will improve going elsewhere? And, you know, I, I put this question to you guys uh, before the show, and I'm looking at their roster. I don't think they're going to trade anybody. They're all very on cheap contracts. They they're all almost all these guys are are able to be held on for a while. I mean maybe Robinson Chirinos or Rognet Odor if somebody just needs a, a a piece here, piece there, get something back for them. Otherwise, I don't think the Orioles are going to be involved in a lot of any trades this year. Do you agree? Pretty much. I thought they missed the boat. If they were going to trade Mullins, it would have been last year at peak value. Uh at this point, I don't know if they would get the same type of return on trading Mullins, so they should keep him. Uh, you know, the, the rest of the roster certainly has his flaws. Mancini still would be somebody, and that's the tough part of, you know, with him coming back, uh, from Hodgkin's lymphoma and all that it would be, and he's so loved by the local uh, community. It would be so tough to train him, but this is also that they could get a good return for that type of experience down the stretch, uh, for that. But I, I do agree with your, your premise that it's, they may just hold on to what they have because they have honestly been better than we expected. And I would say that particularly on the pitching side, uh, I have been rather impressed by what I've seen from their bullpen this year. I mean, last year, it was an absolute gas can. Uh, every time they came in, it just got worse and worse. But, you know, what, we, what we've seen from Felix Bautista has been impressive. Jorge Lopez looks like a different guy uh, as a reliever. Keegan Aiken has been impressive. Uh, Brian Baker has flashed uh, different things. Uh, and them, them having the ability to pitch with the confidence, knowing that every fly ball to left field is not going to be an automatic home run, certainly has helped them. Uh, they they just look like they're pitching. They're not pitching scared anymore because uh, of the change in the in the dimensions. But again, uh, that bullpen is not the gas can that it was last the last couple of seasons. Yeah, agree. Uh, are they, uh, Ruben, are they trading anybody? I mean, Jorge Lopez. I think they're just going to keep him. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think the only person they can possibly trade that has values for another team would be Mancini because because of the National League DH and the and the Universal DH. So he's the only one really who has value to trade. The other guys, I think they're going to hold on to, and I think they're only maybe a year and a half away from actually contending because if you remember, Baltimore spends on free agents when they're good. So it, they're they're one or two, possibly three big signing free agents away from being actually a, a playoff contender based on the playoff uh, style now. All right, let's wrap up the AL East discussion with uh, standings. According to Fangraphs, the order will be Yankees, Blue Jays, Rays, Red Sox, Orioles. Right now, Fangraphs has Yankees and Blue Jays with over to 97% of a chance making the playoffs. Rays at 69%, Red Sox 34 and the Orioles, oh, look, 0.1%. They still have a chance. Uh, do you guys <laughs> agree with that order? Any surprises? Any other predictions you guys want to make? Not, not on my end. Uh, yeah. I don't see that. I don't see that that changing much. If anything, 
it's going to be interesting to see how Toronto, because the weird thing is Toronto and Tampa Bay have not played each other that much yet. Uh, and even mm. the same thing, the the Yankees and uh, Yankees and Rays have only played one another four times. Uh, meanwhile, the Yankees have played Baltimore like 14 times. So it's kind of weird how this is how the scheduling has, has played its way out. But I know as uh, until the Yankees and Rays matched up last weekend, the, you know, they had been yet to face one another. And the, the, I don't even think the Jays and Rays have played one another. I may be missing on that, but I don't know if they have. If they have, they've had one series. Uh, and so there's a lot to be decided between those teams here down the stretch. I think you can't count out the Rays. I think I actually think the Rays are going to win the division. I don't think the Yankees are good, but I think that the injury bug hasn't really hit them that much, like we talked about earlier, and I think they're going to fall back a little bit. And I actually think the Rays, we, everyone counts them out every year. No one really thinks, oh, yeah, it's the Rays. I think they always find a way to do it, and until they find a way not to do it, I'm picking the Rays to win the division. I hope you're right. <laughs> yeah. He's just saying that, Jason, because you're on the show today. <laughs> hey, Maybe. there's nothing wrong with sucking up to the host. It's okay. Or to the guest. It's all right. <laughs> all right. Let's do waiver wire. Uh, let's uh, throw a couple of names out of players who you might think about for picking up this week. Jason, you got a player or two that uh, people should be looking at? Uh, pick, player to pick it up this week. Um, honestly, I need a moment uh, to think through that one. I'm, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer. I'm going to pass. All right, Ruven, you go first. Okay, first of all, I want to mention the fact that I mentioned last week to get on the Edward Cabrera train if you didn't have any shares of him because I said he was going to probably be up when we talked about him last week that he's probably going to be up earlier than Max Meyer and everything like that. Well, he was called up, and he pitched well. He had nine strikeouts. He got a win. He had four walks, and he's still only 34% owned on CBS, so he's a guy, if he's still available, you can go after. Garrett Cooper, I seem like I always mention him. Um, we try to draft him in draft and whole leagues all the time. Brian Anderson is on the IL. Garrett Cooper is batting 282, three homers, and 16 RBIs for the year, but in the last week, he's batting 391 with a home run. So he's only 15% on CBS. He's a guy. And another guy who I actually picked up in my TGFBI league, and that's Luis Guillorme. I have to mention him because he is batting and he is hitting out of his mind. He's only 7% owned in all of NFBC and 9% owned in CBS. I picked him up because I had Tim Anderson. He went on the IL, so I needed a shortstop, and I plugged him in. In the last four weeks, Luis Guillorme is batting 449 with 12 runs scored. He also has one home run and one stolen base over that span as well, but he's going to get your batting average up. He'll get you runs. Last couple of games, he actually batted leadoff with when Brendan Nimmo had a little bit of a back injury. So if you need a fill-in, because he's eligible at second, short, third, he's almost eligible everywhere. If you need a fill-in, he's a perfect guy to get, and he's available almost universally. Yeah, I was actually going to mention Luis Guillorme as well. You know what his batting average is over the past three years? 309 with a 131 WRC plus since 2020. Um, the Mets have never played him really. Uh, he's getting a shot. He's batting leadoff sometimes. He's making the most of it. Um, if you want to take a bigger gamble on the uh, waiver wire for a Met, how about Nick Plummer? Uh, first two games, two homers, and just clutch homers. I mean, he had tying RBIs. He went four for five, I think, uh, one of the days. Just fantastic. Um, he's a guy there. Uh, I'll throw out two more names. Uh, Trevor Larnock, uh, only 17% owned. It's one of these things where a guy gets injured, people forget about him. He hits lots of doubles, and doubles can sometimes turn into homers during the warmer weather. He's also batting 290 in the year. His triple slash this year, 290, 365, 500. Three homers, 15 RBIs, 17 runs, and just 100 at-bats. 
So if you're talking about a full season pace, that's 15 homers, 75 runs, 75 RBIs with a 290 average. That's very valuable. He's 17% owned. By the way, he bats fifth every day for the Twins. Fifth. Um, they, the Twins really like him, and you should too. Uh, he's good for deeper leagues for sure. Shallow leagues, uh, I would give him a look if you're in a five outfielder league. Uh, and the other guy I'll mention, um, he's a one-category guy. He's a batting average guy. Jonathan Daza, especially if he plays in Colorado. He's mm-hmm. only 7, 7% owned. If you're in a deep league or NL only, he should be on your roster just to fill in um, if you need some batting average help. won't give you anything else, but he's not going to do you wrong. How about you, Jason? All right, I got two names now, and it's like kind of like old vetish type of things. Uh, but one is would be... Gio Urshela. Uh, Urshela is currently 37% rostered uh, in CBS leagues and is being started 30% of the time. But over the last two weeks, Urshela is hitting 364, 425, 45 with 11 runs driven in, uh, 12, uh, sorry, seven scored, two homers. And he's playing a lot in that Minnesota offense uh, that's getting better. And so he's there. And we mentioned the other one earlier, Jonathan Scope, uh, how he started to heat up over the past two weeks. He's hitting 298 slugging 574 uh the problem is he's just not dry he's only got eight rbis because most of the detroit is not getting on base like he's doing his thing uh but not a lot of that roster is they've got a lot of dead weight on that roster uh and hopefully o'reilly green's on his way back so hopefully that'll that'll help some things there um but jonathan scope's hitting and we know again he's going to be out there playing every single day and so like the right now as we said with the price with scope scope is uh rostered in 28 percent of leagues only being started in 18 percent uh, so those are some of those old vets that are just kind of floating out there, who, especially Scope, whose who's overall numbers are still bad, but recency, uh, the recent numbers are much better. Yeah, ATC projections, very high on Scope, so I agree with that. Uh, let's go to pitcher preview. Ruben, you go first. Uh, there's not much on the, on the wire I, I see for this week, but uh, what are your thoughts on a pitcher to pick up for this coming week? Okay, well, I'm going to cater to the guest here again, and I'm going to say Jeffrey Springs of the Rays. He's only 45% owned in CBS. I don't understand why he's only 45% owned. He may be two starts this coming week at St. Louis, um, at home in St. Louis and at Minnesota. His last three starts, 2.16 ERA, 16 and two-thirds innings with 20 strikeouts. I like those ratios, and if he's available in your league, it's, that's 50% of the league. It's very possible. But if you want to take a little bit of a risk, there's Connor Pilkington of Cleveland. If you ever heard of him before, he just came up because Aaron Savali's on the IL. He should be to start this week against Texas and Oakland. He's only 4% owned. So this is much deeper. He's a 24-year-old lefty with only 17 innings under his belt, so it's really a big risk. But he's got a K rate so far in the majors of 29. His walk rate's 12, and he's got a ground ball rate of 40. So, you know what? If you want to take a risk, you know he'll give you 5-6 innings, and he's a good option, and he's definitely Definitely available in most leagues. Jason, how about a pitcher for you? Uh, I'm going with Alex Cobb, uh, and it's really tough when you look at the overall numbers, and it's not because he's a former Ray, but you know, you look at the 5.73 ERA in the season, you're like, wow. But how do you have a 5.73 ERA with a uh, with a with a strikeout rate? The way he's striking out, he's got a, a he has a 21% strikeout minus walk rate. He's got a 29% strikeout rate in the year, but it's like he's been super unlucky. Look at everything else, like a 402 on batting average on balls in play. And it's got some of the ridiculous stuff with him, but he's not allowing home runs. He's still the ground ball guy. He, uh, he 
could potentially be a two-start guy next week. But he, we're starting to see some of that over the last you know, his last two weeks. He's had two starts, has not had a win, uh, but he's had plenty of strikeouts. Uh, and so to me, it's like the overall numbers are hiding that. And even if you just do the simple, the simple peek at, okay, what's his... Uh, what's his uh, ERA at XERA? His XERA is 204. Uh, it, so it's just like, wow, how could somebody be this unlucky? Uh, and so Alex Cobb would be somebody I would love to get on my roster for the near future, not just for next week, but the near future, because somebody else has already soaked up a lot of that damage uh, if they haven't already gotten rid of him because they're like, yeah, the strikeouts, uh, but man, I can't take the I can't take these ratios anymore. It, it's It's just killing me. Uh, and so when I look at, he's still, uh, you know, CBS 83% roster, but he's only being started 52% of the time. So if he's not available, you may be able to trade for him. Uh, I don't see a lot of people, but uh, uh, Ruben mentioned Edward Cabrera. Uh, it's a must pick up. Uh, oh, man, 96 mile an hour changeup. Are you kidding me? That was ridiculous in that, in that outing. And that was at Colorado, one hit over six innings, nine strikeouts. Uh, the Marlins do pitching well, guys. Uh, that's an instant pickup. Um, the other, the only two guys I can see um, who are about 50% owned on CBS each, Michael Waka. Uh, he's been very lucky this year. 2-4 ERA, but his Sierra is 4-6, 7. One, ER, one whip, uh, but that's probably attributable to a 198 BABIP. Um, for the future, probably not, but he hasn't run into the wall yet, and he's two start this week versus the Angels and Seattle. Uh, Red Sox maybe are hot, maybe they'll score runs for him. So especially in in weekly head-to-head uh, categories or uh, points leagues, definitely a good play. Maybe not so much for Roto, especially in shallow leagues. Deeper leagues, grab him for sure. Have a John Gray. He's been pretty bad this year, but was it injury? Did he not get start yet? Well, 12 strikeouts last week against, well, you should know, Jason, against Tampa. Um, he's two start. Well, listen, you saw him. He's two start uh, this coming week, you know, with a guy who can throw over 10 strikeouts in a game. We're talking a 15 to 20 strikeout week. Um, I understand there's risk with that, but that upside of those strikeouts are quite a bit. Uh, and if he continues on the success that he had last week, that's a really, really good pickup for the whole season. And I would say this because I, you know, I watched that game. Uh, you know, the, the strike zone from the umpire, uh, Vic Carapaza, was questionable. It wasn't like egregious, but it was very inconsistent. And so there were uh, there were troubles for some of the hitters. Are like, I don't really know what a strike is. There were a ton of strikeouts in that game. Uh, you know, Jeff Spr- Jeffrey Springs was the opposing pitcher. He got his strikeouts. The relievers came in for Tampa Bay, got their strikeouts. Uh, through seven innings, there were 26 strikeouts between the two teams through seven innings. Uh, and and Gray certainly did look good. The 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 sweep the sweep that he's added to his slider, which was already a good pitch, let's be real, uh, when it was away from Colorado, has looked really good. But he was hitting the spots last night. Once he and, and Jonah Heim realized that, hey, the strike zone may be a little bit here, maybe a little bit here, they certainly took advantage of that. Uh, so, and kudos to them for doing that. Uh, and again, this was not, we, we already mentioned the shortcomings of the Tampa Bay lineup. So it's like, okay, if you're going to, throw out Walls and, and Phillips and Brujan and said, you know, fine, I'm just going to challenge you guys and, and 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 not try to get you to chase stuff. It's like, here, 
do something with it because you haven't done much with it all year. Uh, and that's that's how a lot of pitchers are, are choosing to attack the, the club right now. So it was certainly an impressive thing, uh, but I'm, I'm not like completely sold on like, oh, this is the new John Gray. Um, but again, the uh, the Rangers have certainly, uh, they, they quietly had a very, very good month of May as a team uh, after really struggling in April. So if you haven't really paid close attention to the Rangers, they are now two games below 500, um, but they were well below that uh, after April. And if you're thinking and, and if you're thinking about punting saves, John Gray fits that prototype with the guy you want to have on your roster to pick up. If you want to if you want to punt saves, you can get this guy you can get, get you a lot of strikeouts. He's a history of getting lots of strikeouts, so he's a perfect guy. If you want to punt saves, like we talked about earlier, he's a guy perfect to pick up and plug into your roster. Oh, that's yeah. a great point. I was high on him before the season for for everything, uh, but yeah, so he certainly more than meets that that role. Uh, definitely, he fit. He could fit your roster very well, is what we're saying. Uh, in a deep league, he, you should take a gamble on him. First question uh, from the mailbag is about Gray. Uh, Darinola asks, "Did I make a huge mistake dropping John Gray in a deep twelve-team mixed points league, uh, and instead keeping Whitlock, Rosny, and Edward Cabrera? Twelve-team, um, and it's a points league." I think that it's not a mistake. Um, you can take darts, especially in the points league, and churn more. So, you know, if you're keeping Cabrera and Whitlock and those guys, that's probably okay. Uh, I do like Gray for points leagues, though. So maybe I would have tried to keep some, you know, drop somebody else. But I don't think it's a bad mistake. Are you guys good with that move? Uh, I don't do points leagues. Uh, I've never been good at advising on points leagues. I usually look at things in a vacuum. Uh, the with 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 Rosie Contreras is tough because right now the Pirates are playing really good. I mean, they just swept the Dodgers. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. You look at the standings, you're like, wow, look at Pittsburgh, look at them go. But the other problem is, you know, as we mentioned with uh, Baltimore, you know, Baltimore may not trade some of their pieces, but I don't know what. You know, there's certainly pieces Pittsburgh can move. Uh, but they also remind me of the 2004 Devil Rays. You know, the, if you go back and look at that team, they finished 70 and 92, but they were 20 and six in the month of June. And then they completely fell off the cliff after that. And that's when they had the young players. That's when BJ Upton was coming up and Carl Crawford. Uh, yeah, that's when that that part of the roster was coming up. So Pittsburgh kind of reminds me of that. Uh, and so if that team's going to get really bad, what is Contreras going to have to do for you to get you the the points uh, if he's not going to help you in in wins? Can he do enough in the other categories uh, in, in a points league to to make up for that? Yeah, in, in a points league, I think I would have kept Gray over Rosny. I think I would have picked him as the as the one to drop. But there's uh, enough upside in those other three guys compared to John Gray. John Gray, you know what you're going to get. So if if you're in a bind and and or in your lower in the, in your in your in your standings, then maybe taking those three guys over over Gray is the best thing to do because again, it's risk versus reward. Especially though, if you're in a points league that does reward strikeouts, you should be keeping Gray because those pitcher that type of pitcher is a lot more valuable than you think. Pitchers who go deep into games. Um, I, I, I think Gray is, is a better fit for a points league than Roto. So, um, yeah, I think I would have dropped Rosley. By the way, do you know that the Pirates have a better record than the Phillies do right now? Do, do you know that the, the, the Dodgers are below 500 against all teams from Pennsylvania this year? And they're, like, <laughs> playing 700 baseball against everybody else? Crazy. It's crazy. They're, like, three games below 500 against the Phillies and the Pirates, and they're, like, 20 and 8 against the rest of baseball? Crazy. Um, let's do another question. Rob McCabe asks, before the season started, you and others made the case for elevating middle relievers value. Given what we've seen in the first third of the season, 
Does that strategy hold? Would your pitching strategy change? Would you take early elite starting pitchers or would you wait? Uh, I believe that uh, the advice we gave is the right thing. Looking at the values, the reliever values are way up this year. Um, I mean, the top, I'll be the top couple of values 26, 25, 22, 21. This is according to Razball, by the way. 21, 19, 17, 17. It's the top like seven relievers, and it, it stays pretty high for the next couple. Like the 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 15th reliever is like worth 10 or higher. Uh, that just validates that relievers are worth more, and there's a bunch of middle relievers that are worth a couple bucks as well. Whereas the starters, Verlander, who amazes me, and I was so wrong about him, $33. Same. Yeah, McClenahan, <laughs> 32. I just thought he wouldn't, you know, he'd be a little bit worse, you know. But, of course, we do run the risk that he, you know, injury earlier, but an uh, older guy. Uh, Burns, 29. But then the, it doesn't change much. Like, the next 15 pitchers are all above $20. So that means that the starting pitching is muddy. There's not a big difference between Kevin Gaussman, who's like the 12th best pitcher, Versus Corbin uh, versus, versus Burns, who's twenty nine. There's only like a five dollar difference. And if even if you go ten pitchers down to Garrett Cole, Joe Ryan, it's only a five dollar difference to nineteen dollars. So since pitching is muddy, you do not need to spend a big pick on pitchers very early. In fact, the closers were more valuable, and you could go middle middle on on the uh, pitchers, grab your hitters early, like all the strategy that we said. I believe it's validated. Do you agree with that, Jason? Yeah, and first, I refuse to answer Rob's question because he's the commissioner of my local league. Oh, uh, is he really? <laughs> I believe Rob was also in the car with us in Arizona. Uh, so oh, is that right? I, I'm trying to remember. I think he was the other person in the car with us. Uh, but in, in all seriousness, though, yeah, re- relievers – you know, it's it's been different because you know last year, remember, relievers came out of the gate just like surging with with wins, uh, and like we saw like fifty to fifty four percent of the wins going to relievers last year. Uh, like Yusmero Petit, I think had seven in the first five weeks of the season, then finished with nine. And right now, that's like Adam Simber. Adam Simber has six wins and three saves. He is tied for the league lead in wins as a reliever who's thrown twenty one innings this year. It's it's really nuts how that how he's working through that. But he's I mean he's not alone. You look at the as you said, you look at the the earned auction value for pitchers on the leaderboard and you've got reliever wise you've got josh Hader, you've got clay holmes you've got taylor rogers you've got jp fireisen uh who nobody was drafting and the guy's got hasn't allowed an earn run all year he's got a, a 0.46 whip he's got four wins david bednar's up there david bednar has has earned as much as garrett cole has this year and david bednar was being taken like as everybody's like last resort closer it's like okay i guess i gotta take this guy it was like bednar uh or maybe joe barlow uh we, we down have there, him in the league that you're in uh jason I, yeah I got it. Uh, <laughs> and then there are people that you know and garrett cole was going uh you know top top four sometimes first overall so it's kind of been crazy uh how this how this has really played out uh for the most part like you said you know you and i were both wrong on verlander i did not I did not believe it was worth the risk, and it still may not be. But he's pitching just amazing baseball right now. But he wasn't—he uh, so, wasn't even a top pick. Like you could have gotten no. him later, fifth round, sixth round. Yeah. Gaussman, Musgrove. Uh, 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 we're talking uh, uh, Pablo Lopez. These are guys that were available in the mid rounds. You could have just loaded up on quantity in the middle and come out much better than taking mm-hmm. the top guy for sure. Indeed, indeed, yeah. Uh, you, you, I'm assuming uh, you agree, Ruvain, right? Hundred percent, I agree. I mean, in TGFBI, I took my first two picks. I had Cole and Scherzer. I'm not doing that well in that league right now. 
So I I, I agree. Well, I've got I've got uh, Woodruff and and Bueller uh, in one league where I picked on the on the wheel and I was like, oh, I'm gonna go with these two guys and just forget starting pitching for a while. Not doing too well there either. All right, let's just do a one word answer on this last mailbag question. BPV asks, I'm struggling with a group of outfielders in a points league. Would you rather Loriano, Meadows, Fam, Riley Green, or T Taylor? Which Taylor is that? Ty- Tyrone Taylor. Tyrone. Tyrone. That's Tyrone. Tyrone. All right, which one? I'm gonna go with Fam. I'm going to go with Fam as well because I think his days in Cincy are numbered, and he's going to be in a better situation here, uh, where he's got a, where he has the opportunity to be in a more productive offense. Because he is on a one-year deal, and he's got a trade bonus, and we right. know he his money is valuable to him uh, because he was willing to take a hundred and ten thousand dollar fine to slap somebody. Uh, so, in all seriousness, he's got a trade bonus coming up, and there's no reason why Cincy is not going to move him. Uh, and and Fam for everything else is a guy that knows how to get on base, uh, can steal bases, can score runs, and he certainly has defensive limitations uh, and fantasy football limitations. But who cares? And I'm and I'm gonna say Meadows. Meadows is actually coming back from injury. He's on a, he's on a rehab assignment. He looks good on his rehab assignment. I would have said actually Green, Riley Green, because he's also on a rehab assignment. He homered today and singled. He looks good. But the way a lot of these top hitting prospects that have started this year, they've a lot of them have flopped and a lot of them not pr- mm-hmm. produced the way you want to. I think I'm gonna go with Meadows because. I don't think that Tiger offense is going to be that bad for this long. I think they're going to turn it around, and you'll see a little surge, and I think Meadows is going to lead it. All right, Ruvain, injury report time. Who do you got this week? I got lots of people. Okay, let's start with some people who are coming back, hopefully. We'll start with Elo Jimenez, who's coming back from a torn hamstring. He actually tweaked it a bit in his le- in a rehab assignment uh, early this week, but still, barring any further setback, he may return as early as the end of next week. Same thing goes for Willie Adamas. But he'd also had a little setback in his rehab. So, I mean, he had some discomfort in his, in his right quad coming back from the ankle injury. And I just mentioned, we just mentioned Austin Meadows. I was going to mention him right now. He can be he can be activated as early as this coming Tuesday. So he's a guy to watch out for. Tim Anderson is on the aisle with a right groin strain. Tony LaRusso said he'll be out for approximately three weeks. If you want to fill in for the, and you want to go with the White Sox, you have Lurie Garcia or Danny Mendick. Wanda Franco, we mentioned him earlier. He has a white right quad strain. We don't know how long it's going to be, but they said he's going to. Be, he said he's going to be on the IL for at least two weeks. Taylor Walls is an option. He's a little underperforming now, and there are there some options there, but we already went through them that, uh, today tonight. And I don't really think I want any of those on my team at this point. Brandon Woodruff, we just mentioned him just now. Also, he has a right ankle sprain. It was originally called ankle discomfort. There's no timeline for his return yet. Ethan Small, I bet you never heard of him. He was called up, and he may fill in for the Brewers because they have a whole bunch of other injuries in their in their rotation. Hyunjin Ryu was taken out of a game this week again with forearm tightness. He was placed on the IL today. He, we're waiting for MRI results right now. We don't know how long he's going to be out with. And I'm going to end with two other players who should be back within the next week to 10 days, and that's Lance Lynn, who should be back by June 6th. That's the earliest he can be back, finally recovering from knee surgery. And we mentioned Shane Boz already. He had arthroscopic elbow surgery in late March. He's been in the IL since then. He's been doing very well in his rehab stand. The earliest he can be activated would be June 6th, but I think they want either one or two more starts from him in the minors, and then he'll be brought up. Well, Jason, this was a fantastic show, and uh, I guess this is a uh, Fangraphs crossover show, if you, if you think about it. Indeed, yeah, this this was great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I would add to the Wander Franco note, uh, 
this is my personal strategy. I never believe the player. If the player says two weeks, I'm going three. Uh, he honestly has tried to play through it. And you look at his numbers. He he, he was terrible in May. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. At the play, he was terrible. Uh, and he tried to play through this injury. So this time off, I'm hoping that uh, you know he can get back to where he needed to be because he was great in April. Uh, but he, you know, the... It just he got once he got hurt trying to leg out something. It just hasn't been the same. He's tried to play through it, and he really should have taken this IL stint about a week, at least a week ago, uh, if not longer than that. So hopefully he rebounds from that. But I never, ever, ever believe the player. Like even Grayson Rodriguez. Well, it's just a cramp, and we don't know when Grayson Rodriguez is going to pitch again because they're saying it's, a, it's it's a lat a lat strain. Yeah, he's a lat yep. issue. He, that could be months. That could be months. Yep. Just a cramp. There you go. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, uh, that's what you get for trusting players. Uh, Jason, why don't you just, uh, before we go, tell everybody, uh, where we can uh, see your work, where you can listen to you and all things Jason Collette. So, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jason Collette, just one, uh, no space or any special characters there. Otherwise you're going to get some uh, musician or an equestrian. Um, but that's why it's in my profile because every <laughs> now and then I, I get straight, I get straight tweets thrown at me. Uh, you can catch me most Sundays on the sleeper in the bust. Won't be this Sunday because uh, I am uh, taking my son over to Durham to go watch Durham Bulls game uh, as the school year is wrapping up, and we we tend to go on a baseball adventure every every year to end the school year, and so we're taking the train over to Durham to catch a game. Uh, so I won't be on the podcast this Sunday, but will be uh, for the foreseeable future after that. And then I have the weekly uh, installment of Collect Calls uh, at RotoWire that typically runs on Fridays. Uh, this week, there was, what did I write about this week? Um, oh, the statistical madness. Like you mentioned, Marcus Simeon uh, had finally homered. Uh, I went as far on Saturday morning when I started working on the piece to be like, he the, the streak ends today. He's going to homer. He's back in Oakland, and, and he ended up homering. But I said it was going to be off a certain pitcher in a certain part of the park. That didn't happen, but I'm still calling it a win because he homered on the day I said he'd hit a home run. And he did homer. He had his first home home run today. Uh, there, but it, looking at some of the statistical craziness that's going on this year, it's like we're two months into the year, and there are s still some long dry spells. They're like, how is this happening? Uh, it's just been a very strange year. Uh, I'm still enjoying baseball, but it, it's but we've had a lot of craziness. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, the fact that Garrett Cole is the highest ERA on the Yankees starting staff uh, is just amazing. Uh, but it's surprising at the same point. Maybe it gives you like which one of those guys, which one of Cortez, Tyone, um, or uh, or Montgomery is going to be uh, this year's version of Jack Armstrong. You know, we were talking about aged listeners. Go back and look at is it 1990 Jack Armstrong and how he started the year and then where he finished it. He went from All Star starter to I think losing his rotation spot in the second half. It was kind of crazy, but. Jack Armstrong's a good lesson on how some guys get screaming hot out of the gate and then just completely burn out in the second half. Yep. Oh, good stuff. Um, Ruben, why don't you tell everybody where we can find your stuff? You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates as they come. You can also catch my weekly article on Rotoballer discussing the injuries and getting you ready for the Fab for the Sunday night. All right. And I'm Ariel Cohen. You can find my work over at Fangraphs, over at Rotoballer. Um, I can be found on Twitter at ATCNY, and of course, you can listen to me every week right here on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. All right, once again, thank you so much, Jason Collette, for coming on the show, and from all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time.
Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.